Well, after a week, a little break last week when Ross Gerber was here for a mission Sunday morning, we are going to return, and we're actually, uh, today's a bit of a a transition message, and uh, I was thinking this week as I was preparing for the message this morning, and maybe it's good for me just to kind of get this out right up front here. Um, We're transitioning, we're we're heading, we we spent some time going through the statement of of theology uh, that we say we believe in, and and I hope you enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed it tremendously, but uh, sometimes I enjoy things that uh, not everybody else enjoys. I hope you enjoyed that. And we're making a transition where I want to preach the, the second half, so to speak, although they're not really half and half, but the second half of, of the series of foundations, which is to take a look now at our statement of faith and practice. And I think I kind of prepped you for this. I did not hand out anything. Uh, I'm assuming if you, uh, there is some copies back there. If you want some copies of it, if you don't already have a copy, uh, you can grab a copy. You can get it off of our website. I'm hoping you will take time to read through it. We're again kind of, kind of just kind of chunk through uh, section by section and, uh, and, and move through some of the things that, that we say are sort of foundational for us living our lives uh, as believers, first of all, uh, just that statement by itself, and then as believers together, as a, as a community of, of believers together as the local church. And today is a bit of a, 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 it's a transition from what we were talking about to this, and I, again, I just, I'll just be kind of upfront about it. It, it requires, at least from, as I was putting this together and asking the Lord how to, what sort of what should come out kind of thing, it requires a lot of, a lot of talking, a lot of teaching, um, not so much like, you know, what I really love to do, which is to take a passage and just kind of break it open and dig deep into it. So I don't know, I almost, I'll be honest, I was sitting there towards, I had everything pretty much done and I almost scrapped a lot of stuff because I thought, I don't feel like there's a lot of just like Bible teaching out of here. And yet the Lord kept saying, it's a transition. We're going to get back. We're going to get, so I'm just going to kind of put that out there. Today, we're going to really cover, if you did look at the statement of faith and practice, if you are looking at that, we're going to cover basically all the way down to the first main section is what we're going to have to get to. And we kind of, kind of bridge, since I'm talking about this already, we're going to kind of bridge where we're heading from our statement of theology to our statement of faith and practice. And this is a bit of a shift. This is why we have to have this transition. Because we're talking before this, we're talking some really high-level, like broad kind of things. In other words, I would put it this way. We're talking about uh, theory, and now we're going to kind of have to move into practice. Like all the stuff we say we believe... What does that actually mean for how we live our lives? So the second half is going to be a lot more uh, application as much as I can. Now, even that, I'm going to just be up front. Even that is, I can't totally apply all this stuff. And if you have read our statement of faith and practice, we don't have a list of like, like detailed r- rules or lists of things you have to follow. So even that is up to some of your own uh, application. But it's going to be a lot more of application, a lot more of, hey, we said we believe this, so we think it means this. This is what our lives should look like. Or one other thing, as it really pertains to today's message, is this really is a message transitioning from what I would call global church belief. In other words, things that I would tell you that the church all across the globe believes, to local church application, which I would tell you varies quite widely across the globe. As you have traveled, if you've traveled across the globe, you will recognize this is true, right? I don't know if you know this or not, but... Not every church around the globe looks like we do, or acts like we do, or does things like we do. And I would say that's okay. I would also say that doesn't mean that we're wrong. This message is to transition us from what I have been teaching as 
this is what we believe about Jesus. This is what we believe about God. This is what we believe about the Holy Spirit. This is what we believe about the Bible, about the church, about salvation, about Satan, about what's going to happen at the end, about all those things. I would have told you, I maybe never said it this way, but I would have told you that from my perspective, if you are a believer, you're going to believe those things. It's what the Bible teaches according to what I think. Now, we're going to move into where we're going to talk about this is how we apply those things. And I think we have to be willing to say that's our local church application. We're coming from global, like, belief to local application. And I would say that's perfectly fine. In fact, one thing this message I think will come out, I hope it will come out, is that I'm a firm believer that sometimes we have people that say, well, you know, we're all part of the global body of Christ, and so we should all, like, be the same. or all not. There should be no distinctions. There should be no such thing as a local church. And I... I don't think that's true. I'll tell you why I think that is as we go through the message. But there is a local church. We are a local church. And I think we should feel free to interpret or apply the things that we say we believe how we think is best for our community of believers together. So, from our specific statement of theology to our specific statement of faith and practice, one thing you will notice as we go through this is if you're looking at the statement of faith and practice, we make kind of we believe statements, which you might say is still theology, but they're more specific we believe statements. And we follow them up with, like, because we believe, this is what we do. Now, we don't always use the phrase, because we believe, we do this, but that's really what we're doing. We believe this, so we do it this way. Now, I want to begin just again today by setting the foundation that has been set, but I want to do it again. Because at the beginning of our faith and practice, we say this. We believe in the inspiration, the inerrancy, the authority of scriptures, and here's the we do part, and seek to faithfully interpret them as a body. In other words, the first is a connection statement. This is what we believe in. We believe that this is God's inerrant. What does inerrant mean? You guys know I like to have some participation. Make sure you all stay awake. What does inerrant mean? What does it mean if we say we believe, uh, I skipped the second one, sorry, but we'll do that first. Uh, what does it mean, believe, mean to, yeah. what does it mean when we say we believe that the Bible is God's inerrant word? It has inerrancy. Which without error, yeah, the root word there, you can figure that out. Without error. There's no mistake in it, right? All right, inspiration. I, since I jumped over that, you know what that means, right? If we say we believe the Bible is inspired, what do we mean by that? What does that mean? Okay, it's, in, I mean, it's, is it, I mean, okay, maybe I could, is it the same as what Beethoven had when he was inspired to write a symphony, or what, what, um, uh, I don't know, Shakespeare was when he had inspired to write plays. Is it the same kind of inspiration? Like, hey, I had this inspiration the other day, I had this great idea. Not that kind of inspiration, right? Curvin, you said what? It's God-breathed, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It comes from some source outside of man. That's what we mean when we say it's inspired. It's inerrant, and of course, we all know the last word, right, even if we don't like it. What does authority mean? What does authority mean? What's that? It has the power, the ability, the right to rule over us, to rule our lives. Those things that we say we believe, it is inspired by God, it is without error, and it has authority in our lives are why the last part's true. We seek to interpret them faithfully as a body, as a group. Now, a quick reminder. We had a whole section. I did a whole sermon. I'm not going to do it again today. We had a whole sermon on what we believe about the Bible in our statement of theology. Just a quick review for us. 
we believe that the Bible tells us these things. It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. It also tells us what God has done for us, and it tells us what God wants from us. That's, that's, that's my concise summary of what we believe the Bible, because we believe it's God's inspired word, it's in Aaron, it has authority in our lives. We believe that this is what it tells. In other words, I would tell you, and I, I'm definitely, I'd love to have a conversation about this. I would tell you, you can open up this to about any place in all of Scripture, and some people like to test this sometimes, but you can open it up to about any place in all of Scripture, and you're going to find either something about who God is, or something about who we are as humans, or something about what God has done for us, or what He wants from us. And most times, you'll find more than one of those that play at the same time, all happening at the same time. Now, I'm stressing this because, again, as we're going to come to application, we're going to come to saying, what do we, how do we live our lives together? We're going to say, it has to come from here. Anything we're going to say definitively, like, this must be true for us, has to be found in here because we have just said that this is what it tells us, what God has done for us, what he wants from us, all those things. We're resetting that foundation again. So let's keep moving because it's not what the message is about today, but I want to kind of relay that again to make sure that we, we know that. Here's the next we believe statement, by the way, in our statement of faith and practice, and it happens to be the subject of today's message. We believe in the church. Now, we could just stop right there for a moment. We believe in the church. We believe in the church as the body of Christ. We go on to kind of explain that, that we believe that the body of Christ is the called out ones, separated unto God, regardless of color, race, geography, or culture. By the way, take a quick look around you. You probably don't really have to do this because it's a mental exercise at the end because you know what people look like for the most part around you. And you realize that though we say that, or not, not, not though, that's maybe to come out right, but we say that it's the church, regardless of color, race, geography, culture, we all pretty much come from the same geography and culture and race and color, right? For the most part. Now, I'm sure there's differences among us. If we'd all do DNA testing, we'd realize that there's, you know, probably a far more variety than we think there might be among us. That doesn't negate that we believe this is true. Again, this is a transition. And this statement here still is largely about the global church. We recognize that the body of Christ is the called out ones. They are separated unto God. And that is true no matter what color you are, no matter what race you come from, no matter what, what place you come from, or no matter what culture you come from. In fact, as we do a review here, remember that I talked about, we did a whole message on the church too. This is what we believe about the church. So I'm just going to review this as well. We believe that the church is a people called out. I just said that, but I'm, I'm, this, these notes literally came out of the message that I preached a couple months ago. So that's why I'm putting them back in here. We believe the church is a people called out, called out of darkness, called out of the world into God's kingdom of light. When I made this statement a couple of months ago, whenever I did this, I talked about the fact that those statements, we looked at 2 Peter chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and I made the statement that what we see there, a chosen race, a, a did I get that right? A royal priesthood, a chosen race, a chosen generation. I should just look it up, right? I'd hate to quote it wrong. Somebody know it? A holy nation... I'll just read it here for us since we're stumbling around. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, right? And I pointed out how that makes us both unified and distinct. If you look at all those qualifiers and that whole, those, those four things, makes us unified and distinct. And I made this statement that day that there is a, a race, if you want to put it that way, that supersedes all other races. There is a, a nation that supersedes all other political affiliations. It's the, it's the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. It is higher than, our statement that we, talk, put, that we just I put up there a little bit ago, reflects that we think is higher than the blood that runs through our veins or the place we come from or the culture we happen to grow up in. Now, I can tell you that this is much of how we apply what we believe does come from our culture and our geography and our race. And I say that's okay. I'm stressing this to say we want to be very clear at the beginning that we are not exclusive in how we have applied all these things. That there's a body of Christ broader than the local church application, and we recognize that. In other words, I'm playing both sides. It's okay to have our local expression, and we should have that, and we shouldn't shy away from it. We shouldn't say, well, since we're not like those people, we can't do it like, we, have, we can't be different from them, we can't make distinctions from those. No, that's okay. At the same time, we can't say, well, just because we have it this way means that they're wrong and we're right. The people is a, the church is a people called out. We said we believe the church exists to proclaim him. That is why we exist. That's why we're called out. That's why those of us who are redeemed, that's, that's what we exist for, is to proclaim the glory of God. And the last thing is, I, I made that day, the point I made, is that we believe the church ministers to others out of what we ourselves have received, which is God's mercy. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Once we were not a people, but now we are a people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. I believe Peter wrote that because he wanted us to recognize that if we have now received mercy, if we are now called out, that is exactly the same mechanism by which we can minister to other people. It's because of mercy. And in that section, I had, told us, I had pointed out to us that it is for us to mature or to grow deeper or to disciple and it is for us to multiply or to evangelize or to reach out. Now, before I go any further, I would like to read some scripture because I think it's good for us to read out of God's word. I'm going to take a glimpse at then, as we're talking about the church here and what we believe about the church, I'm going to take a glimpse at the first expression of the church that we see in the New Testament. So if you open your Bibles, would you uh, do that please to Acts chapter 2. Jesus has ascended. They were waiting and praying. The Holy Spirit came visibly, audibly. Everyone knew it. They gathered around. There was an incredible sermon. People were saved. The church was like just instantly formed with these people. And it was a big number. It was not a small number. We're not talking about it started with little breadcrumbs. It started with a bang. And we read in verse 42 of chapter 2. Let me read these verses for you. You follow along, please. And they devoted themselves. The they is the people that came out, that were called out, the ones that were saved, that were baptized, that were saved, as Peter uh, said, 
they should be saved from this crooked generation. They were baptized, about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and their fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I remember when we talked through the book of Acts uh, not too long ago, we got to this section quite a while ago because it's in the beginning of the book, but we got to this section, and I remember making the comment that, we, you know, we, we don't want to, the goal of this is not to make our church look exactly like the Acts 2 church did, which sometimes is, which kind of put out there as a goal. At the same time, I'll tell you, there's, there's principles we find about how they interact with each other. I think I made the same statement when we talked about it in the statement of theology about what we believe about the church. Here again we see, and we look at the, and I look at these verses, and I love the, what we see, and I long for us to model some of these things. Look at how they cared for each other. Look at what they were devoted to. They took time and energy and spent some of their hard-earned dollars and other things they had around, and they made it a priority for them to be with each other, to care for each other. To be concerned about what God might have to say to them that they received with each other. That's a point we often miss, by the way. It, I love the fact that Gutenberg designed a printing press and made the Bible readily available for everybody. I love the fact that we believe that every one of us has the Holy Spirit and can read the Word and can be taught by the Word. I love that, and I think it's absolutely 100% true. One of the weaknesses or downsides to that is that it lets us believe that we can sort of drift off and form our own theology and our own beliefs and our own applications on our own. And yet over and over and over and over again in Scripture we see that this happens collectively. This happens as a body of people. But that is entirely the point I'm about to make. They began with how many people? And about how many were added that day? They began with 120 or so. 3,000 were added. And at the end, I said that God kept adding day by day to the numbers. So did they grow pretty rapidly? Is that a fair assessment? So the things we're talking about and seeing them doing, how long do you think they did it as a global church, if you know what I'm asking about that, as a global church? How long did they continue to share with each other? And as this verse that I have put up there, they met day by day in the temple and in their homes, breaking bread. How long did these 3,000, 3,500, 4,000, 5,000, how long did they keep meeting altogether? Now, I don't have an answer, right? I can't tell you that. But my point is, we know, we understand just intuitively that clearly they began to have smaller groups within the bigger group. And then Acts chapter 9 and 10 happens. Actually, Acts chapter 8 happens first, they get scattered. And then 9 and 10 happens, they begin to add all kinds of other people. And suddenly we realize it's not possible for them to hold to their own standard, if this is what the standard is, of the whole church getting together and sharing for each other. Remember, they didn't have phones and Facebook and Instagram and all this kind of stuff where they couldn't tell when the neighbor down the street had a broken leg and had to take care of them unless they saw them. Certainly across town, they probably had no clue. Not to mention in another town entirely. The point I'm trying to make 
is that we understand intuitively that the things that we talk about that the church does, like actually does, not just that we believe the church is, but what the church does, doesn't happen as a global church. It happens as a local church. If I can do this exercise really quickly, I need your help to do it though, and I hope you'll be willing to do it with me. You know that I like to have you guys read verses for me, right? And you know that I usually put them on your handouts. So if you've been looking at your handout, they're all there, right after the reference we just did, Acts 2:42 to 47. I thought it would be interesting, and maybe you don't think it's interesting, but I thought it'd be interesting to get a glimpse at how many times there's direct references, no, no, no veiled reference, but the direct references to a local group of believers in the New Testament gathering together. I actually omitted some, so there, there are more than what I have here. But if we can do this, now this is quite a number of verses. I don't know if it's 14, 15, 16 verses, so there's going to be a lot of you that have to help, okay? You know how this works. I'd like to have somebody read, look up a verse, and read it out loud. I'm not going to make a lot of time for commentary because we want to just hear them like back to back. So when somebody's read it, someone else pick up the next one, okay? So you have them all in front of you if you're looking at a handout. Uh, we're going to start with Acts chapter 11, verse 22. And we're interested in finding out, does the Bible specifically speak about the fact that there's a local body of believers and doesn't just always refer to the church as this global body that should all be like the same kind of thing? So Acts eleven twenty-two. someone start us off um, and then we'll just kind of go right on through as much as we can. Don't be shy. We need lots of not shy people. Go ahead. All right, the church in Jerusalem. There was a church in Jerusalem, all right? Uh, 13.1. And Saul. Now, I don't know if you noticed, I told you I'm not going to make comments, but I can't resist. Because he just read the church in Jerusalem, they heard about the church in Antioch, they sent Barnabas there. You read a reference, now referring to the church in Antioch, referring to Barnabas. Actually, Saul too, this is where Paul gets his missionary call to go, to, uh, go on a missionary journey. All right, how about one more chapter later, 1423. Now that's not a specific church, but Paul, as he went around the missionary journeys, he went and he appointed elders at every church. Now, obviously, he's not talking about the global church, right? He can't be. He's talking about every specific local instance where they was at the appointed elders. All right, let's keep going. How about 2017? We're still in Acts. There. There's just a specific instance of the elders at the church in Ephesus. All right, we're going to jump out of Acts now. How about Romans 16, verse 1? These are going to get a little more interesting in some of these. Got to flip some pages. All right, so there he refers to a place called Sancreia and the church that is there. How about we go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2? This one's pretty easy. And you could read the exact same start to the second letter to the Corinthians, to the church of God at Corinth. Now, someone had also started reading, so why don't you take uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, if you're there, unless you're not there. Probably can't because you were ready to read the other one, right? That makes sense. First, now, oh, did you guys catch a difference in what he said? Now, Paul, up to this point, every church that was mentioned was mentioned where? 
like what kind of place? A city, right? The church of this city. So we at least could say, oh, you know what? Maybe they had one church per city. I would say there's still probably really big churches. I don't think they, probably they had more than one church per city. Here, when Chris read that, he said, hey, by the way, I want you to greet, a, I'm going to get the names, Priscilla and Aquila, and the church that meets, where? In their house. How about Colossians 4, 15 or 16? Now, I don't know where Nympha lived for sure, but there's an interesting case where Paul says, hey, now he's reading, the, it's the Colossian letter, right? And he says, hey, how about you give greetings to the church at Laodicea, it's the next town, you know, just over the ridge there, and, and then also greet Nympha and the people that have church at her house, but then he goes on and says, and by the way, why don't you take your letter that is the, to the Colossians and read it over in Laodicea, and oh, they also have a letter, how about you read their letter in your church? We don't have that, by the way, in our Bible, do we? We don't have a, we don't have a New Testament Bible, book of the Bible called Laodiceans, but we could very well, according to that. 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. You might be thinking I'm beating a dead horse by now. Philippians, I'm sorry, Philemon 1, 1 and 2. It's Philemon, not Philippians. Philemon 1, 1 and 2. You actually did Philippians, right, Lynn? Let's do Philemon. I think, I think it was a reference. That's okay. I, it, it, that's okay. No problem. It actually works because he was reading, writing to the saints at Philippi, which is the same thing. Point I'm still trying to make. Is Philemon, I, I, think, I think I got this reference, right? What's Philemon say? Philemon 1, 1 and 2. Read verse 2. Is that verse 2? Yeah. Okay, just, just the first two verses. So there again, we have a case where Archippus and there's all this, these, he's naming these names. And he says then, the people that meet it there. Let's do one more. Now, this one's a lot, little more well-known to us. Revelation chapter 2. I don't know if you ever catch this, but in Revelation chapter 2, we have consecutive references to local churches. Uh, it's in the messages that come to them. So Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, 8, 12, 18, 3, 1, 7. And I don't know if one person wants to read all of them or you want to take turns. I really don't care. I think my point is being made, but let's finish this out. To the angel of church of Ephesus, right. How about verse 8? Church of Smyrna. You're on a roll, Jerry. How about verse 12? All right. And verse 18. Church of Thyatira. Okay, jump over to chapter 3. We got a couple more to go. Verse 1. Sardis, verse 7. Philadelphia, verse 14. Laodicea, same uh, town that was named by Niall in the letter to the Colossians. My point, you're probably all tired of this by now. My point is clearly the local church existed everywhere, right? And we here today now, I'm, I, we might quibble about what defines a local church or how we should draw those boundaries or whether we have too many of them, and I wouldn't necessarily argue with you on that point. 
But regardless, we would say, it's clear the local church exists. What we see the local church doing and needing to do happens in a subset of the broader church. Not forgetting that the broader church exists, but in a subset. So I want to walk through what we say in our statement of faith and practice. And again, this is mostly teaching. I lost my connection, connection up here, so go ahead, Caleb, if you don't just uh, mind just uh, flipping through there. So we meet locally here. This is going to apply to us now, right? So I, all this stuff we read about all these other churches at Riverview, we say we meet locally for these reasons. Go ahead and put the first one up there. We meet so that we can provide opportunities for corporate. What do I mean when I say corporate? I'm not talking about a business. What do I mean corporate? All of us, not, not individual. The opposite of that would be individual. Like you should have your individual devotions at home. You should have your individual Bible reading time, your prayer time, your worship time. You should have all those things at home individually. And maybe you should even have it as your family, right? But when we say corporately, we mean as extending beyond that, the next level out, a local body of believers. We meet so that we can give you opportunities to have corporate worship, corporate fellowship, and corporate accountability, all of which we believe are New Testament, local church, biblical uh, mandates or ideals. This is what we believe, and this is what, so this is what we do. We get together. This is why, if you ever get tired of me saying this, you shouldn't, because this is why I keep telling you, hey, you should come, not just Sunday morning. You should come Sunday night. You should come Wednesday. You should be part of a care group or come Wednesday night to hear, or something's happened because we exist. We exist to give opportunities for you to come together as a group of believers, bigger than just your family, and to get together and have fellowship with each other, have worship with each other, and have accountability with each other. Unless you think, which I don't think you think this, but unless you think that you can maintain purity in your walk with God completely by yourself, I think you need the rest of us. Now, that's a whole exercise by itself because we do that pretty badly, don't we? Both on the giving accountability side and on allowing the accountability side. Again, I won't make that point anymore today. There may be a few more things we point out, but let's go to the second one. We meet in order to meet spiritual, material, emotional, and social needs. And every one of those matters. Again, when you go back and read Acts chapter 2, verse 43 to 47, we see every one of those things happening. Getting together so that your spiritual needs are met. Getting together so that your material needs are met. Getting together so that your emotional needs are met. And getting together so that your social needs are met. If you are called out of the world, the last thing that I want you to do, the last thing we want you as a church to do, is to get your social needs met out there in the world while we're trying to meet your spiritual needs. It doesn't work that way. We exist to meet all of those. You have a dichotomy. You have a budding of heads if you're trying to meet some of those needs somewhere else outside of the local church. It's also one of the reasons why I tell people all the time, you know, people come by, they're asking for help, they're looking for something, and we often help them. But the thing I say over and over to people is to say, what we really want you to do is to come and tuck in and do church with us because you'll find a group waiting to love and to help and to meet all those needs. We believe we exist to do that when you are part of our body. That means that when you are part of our body, we think that it should be happening. Let's go to the third one. We meet locally in order that we can give opportunity to believers to exercise their spiritual gifts. We believe everyone has one if you're a believer, and we believe that you should use them, and we believe the local church is a place that finds expression. Believe it or not, my family probably would get really tired of hearing me teach if it only, the only way, place I got to do was at home. 
and you have gifts too, and they are to be used. Again, that's not the point of the message today, but it is why we meet as a local body. It's why you lose those things if you just have this nebulous, it's there, but this global body that, well, I'm part of the body of Christ, so I don't really have to be part of a local church. Then how are you going to use your gifts? How do you really get those needs met? How do you meet other people's needs? How do you have corporate worship and accountability? Because you can't gather with the whole world at one time, right? Let's go to the last one. We also meet locally in order to utilize our resources, use our resources, the things that God has given us to evangelize and disciple all people. And again, you're going to see on both those phrases, evangelize and disciple, it's the, going back to that we believe the church exists and ministers out of what we have ourselves received, which is mercy, which means we should mature and multiply. We should evangelize and disciple. I said them in backwards order the second time, but we should disciple and evangelize. We should add to the body of Christ, and we should grow deeper, those of us who are in the body of Christ. And that's what the local church is for. Of course I believe it can happen individually and in a family. Of course I do. But I am a firm believer, given the pattern that has been laid out in the New Testament, that if that is the only place it's happening, you are falling far short of the growth and the depth and the utilization that God would want to have. Again, do I have to have you go through and read all those references again about the churches? There were churches that existed, local churches, for that reason. I'm going to quickly close this morning just by giving you, this is not really part of the teaching necessarily, but I just want to quickly, because it's in our statement, and I want to make, make it clear to you guys, we're going to jump into some things that are going to come out of what we say, we, why we meet uh, in the following weeks, but I want to just quickly talk about the fact that uh, we have people here, obviously there's people here that come this their home that are not members, we have people here that are members, and I think when we take in members every time I say, we love when people are willing to commit and say, hey, I'm here, this is where I belong, this is, this is the, where I'm going to dig in to do the things we're going to talk about, the things we are talking about. Just real quickly, according to our statement of faith and practice, our membership is available if you have repented of sin and are trusting in Christ. One is a repented of sin, and other is a current present tense trusting in Christ. Also, if you are obviously following out of that, we believe it should follow naturally out of that, but if you've done that and have experienced a believer's baptism, then uh, that's the second requirement. The third requirement is that you are giving evidence of faith by obeying Christ and the Word. We want to take seriously what we say we believe, that God's word is inerrant and inspired and has authority, and we seek to faithfully interpret them as a body, which means we believe you should give evidence in your life that you believe in Christ, you're obeying Christ, and that you are obeying his word. And the final one, of course, makes a lot of sense because we say that if you want to be a member here, it makes sense that you agree with the statement of faith and practice that we're going to be teaching through because if you don't agree with that, I'm not sure why you'd want to be a member. It seems kind of logical to me, but maybe it should be pointed out. So, a lot of groundwork, a lot of transition. Sorry I didn't get a chance to dig a whole lot of into the scripture today. We're going to do that. We're going to kick off next week by looking at the first section, which is on stewardship, actually, uh, on what we, how we apply what we believe about uh, who God is and who we are and what he wants from us into this thing called stewardship. So, come back next week. Thanks a lot for being here today. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that we have your word that faithfully explains to us, clearly explains to us, readily explains to us who you are, what you've done through Jesus Christ for us, how desperately we need Jesus. And 
What you really want more than anything is for us to place our allegiance, to our trust, our faith in Jesus, and then to live a life that flows out of obedience to the one we call master, the one we call Lord, the one whose name is Jesus. God is one of those places I struggle enough as an individual to live faithfully. And then we start talking about how to do it as a body, and it gets all messy. We're just going to be honest about that, God. It gets all messy, for we see things differently. We apply them differently. We, we think this is, must be how it is. And many times for us, it's what you're asking us to do. But we struggle. I'm going to just ask up front here, God, as we close this sermon, as we get ready for the rest of the sermons, if I can just be so bold, which your word tells me I can be bold, I can come to your throne of grace, I ask that you would make these next number of weeks as we walk through a statement of faith and practice, that you make it something that is unifying. Make it something that draws us together and helps us to focus on our mission to evangelize and to disciple those that are here. Not something that, that divides us or makes us argue with each other or makes us think that, well, this isn't right or I'm done with this, but something that draws us together. I pray that you would keep us bound to the word. I pray that your spirit would illuminate the truth of your word to us that we may understand it, may apply it correctly. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give me wisdom as I explain? And I pray most clearly and definitively against the enemy of our souls, for he would like to take these opportunities to drive wedges, to bring distractions, and to divide, to lie to us. And we want to reject those in, in Jesus' name and say, you and your truth only may rule here in this place and in our hearts. Even as we do it, even as we're unified, may we all grow from it. May we ourselves be reminded that what you've called us to and say, I want your help to do even better to honor you because I exist. We exist as a church to proclaim the glory of you, God. And we fail so miserably so many times. Forgive us. I'm grateful for your grace. I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit. We trust in him. We yield to him. We love him. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.